0: Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's
1: such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This to me is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know.
2: Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis.
1: Good morning. Good morning and happy Thursday. You're listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning. And a couple of quick headlines right off the top. Uh, Biden has extended the COVID public health emergency. The White House's Department of Health and Human Services, the HHS, has extended the COVID 19 state of emergency for no other real reason other than a pretext to extend emergency powers. So, will uh, Congress do anything about that? Will there be lawsuits? Uh, Will the judiciary ever do anything about that? That's a great question. will have to ask my guests uh, this hour. Also, additional classified documents have been found in Joe Biden's possession from his time as vice president. What is going on? Will some of these select committees, like the one on China, probe that particular aspect? And also, uh, Representative Mike Gallagher will probe the China-friendly corporations with a new committee to keep China accountable. So a lot is going on in Washington this morning, and I want to get to my first guest right away. I'm so pleased to welcome congressman matt gates good friend and of course a legendary hero at this point in washington dc so good morning congressman gates
3: good morning jenna thanks so much for having me on the show
1: Thank you so much for coming on. And, you know, it's been um, almost a week now since the uh, installment of Kevin McCarthy and that uh, week-long battle to get some of these concessions. So uh, you have been hailed as a hero by most of the base, uh, but, of course, some of your colleagues in Washington had a little bit different of opinion. So looking back on that and now uh, the the first week of Congress – Uh, Was that fight worth it with the concessions? And how would you rate Kevin McCarthy's first week report card as speaker?
3: Well, thanks so much for having me. And I am a little surprised at how everyone freaked out over taking four days to select the person who's second in line to the presidency. It was absolutely worth it. There are days in Congress where all we vote on is renaming one post office. There's six weeks every single year where there's summer vacation and people do nothing. And so I think that getting firm commitments on the bills we're going to vote on, on the people who are going to serve on key committees, on the role of conservatives in the next Congress, on balanced budgets, on term limits, on internal enforcement of our immigration laws, these things matter to the people who sent us here. And uh, I think in the first week, Kevin McCarthy has done all he can to meet those commitments. Time will tell. This is not a short-term deal. This is a deal that has strong enforceability. And I really think some of it, Jenna, is that Nancy Pelosi will go down in history as the last of the imperial speakers. We saw under Pelosi and Paul Ryan and John Boehner a real centralization of power in the office of the Speaker of the House a neutering of the committee process, the the true legislative process. And now we're trying to restore the work of the committees, the power of the members, and ultimately the promise of the country.
1: And I think that's what... Everyone who calls themselves a conservative and a Republican and, and a genuine American who understands the role of Congress wants all of that and are very excited for that. So in this um, heightening of the power of these committees, uh, with several, like the uh, weaponization of government that Jim Jordan is chairing, and then the one with Mike Gallagher and China, uh, what do you anticipate focusing on and really coming of these committees and their oversight
3: We've seen almost every aspect of this government weaponized against our people. I mean, I remember when I ran for this job in 2016, I thought the FBI, the CDC were the good guys. Uh, But we've seen everything from the most powerful entities at the Department of Justice uh, bend to politics. We've also seen what we thought were benign entities like the United States Post Office even develop covert surveillance programs to try to monitor people's politics. So I suspect that our weaponization select subcommittee of the Judiciary Committee will probably start with the abuse of prosecutorial powers, uh, the limitations on people's liberty, and really build out from there. Uh, One of the specific concessions we got on that weaponization select committee is that it will be staffed and resourced at a level no less than the January 6th committee that was illegitimate, improperly constructed, and and truly turned against our fellow Americans in unconstitutional ways.
1: And that's good. And and I've heard some uh, criticism of these committees and uh, all of the Republicans that are tweeting about the subpoena power and saying, well, none of the Republicans uh, in the legislature wanted to come and sit for the January 6th committee. So what's the difference here in terms of the subpoena power? And will these committees uh, be properly constructed in terms of being bipartisan?
3: Yeah, we are not going to do the Nancy Pelosi game of kicking the opposition off of these committees. And it, and Jenna You know, you never fear the debate, and neither do I. And so if there, you know, are Democrats serving on the committee, you get opposition viewpoints, you get to have uh, discourse, and ultimately that creates better work product. Now, what's helpful is that there's a great deal of legal precedent now, because of the January 6th committee, about the power of congressional subpoenas. Uh, Our subpoenas are going to be legitimate. (laughs) That committee's work, I think, was illegitimate, because... They didn't allow the minority to populate the committees with members of its choosing. And, you know, that's where you saw really an echo chamber with Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, who did not serve our country well or honorably. Um, we're going we're gonna to get to the business of getting those subpoenas out, getting those documents. And remember, Congress doesn't prosecute anyone. We don't have the power to go and arrest people. But we've got to get the truth out. Uh, we've got to get the truth out about what's happened Within our own government, we've got to get the truth out about COVID. We've got to get the truth out about elections. Uh, and I hope that if we do that, uh, we're able to drive a more enduring change to the institutions that have let our people down.
1: And this is so refreshing, and I'm so thankful for you, Congressman Matt Gates, and uh, your commitment and your colleagues' commitment, especially those of the 20 that were willing to take the stand to get these concessions. Uh, this is great. And, and one of those committees that you just mentioned on election integrity, um, I'll have uh, Congresswoman Claudia Tenney, who it will, uh, I believe, co-chair uh, that committee on election integrity. That will be really important. All of these questions are very important uh, to the American people, to truly fact find. And one of the things that you just mentioned in terms of having Democrats on the committees, um, it was always interesting to me as a trial lawyer, uh, a lot of people don't like the, the cross-examination or uh, when your opposing counsel can ask your own witnesses questions. But sometimes that was actually helpful for my argument. And it actually, um, at other times, they would ask questions that proved my case. And so you're right that we don't have a fear of, of the back and forth when you're trying to get to the truth. And so um, what can people expect from uh, some of the legislation that will come out and the priorities? Um, You have recently tweeted that you are in full support of term limits. And um, so obviously that would need to be a, a constitutional amendment. And so what is the hope of actually getting that through? And would that cover not just elected office, but some of these people in the deep state?
3: Well, I I favor a very broad application of term limits. As you know, term limits are popular everywhere in the country except inside the Beltway of Washington, D.C. We will not be able to pass term limits because we don't have support in the United States Senate for it. But I think it's important for the American people to know where their member of Congress stands. I mean, term limits isn't like an 80 percent or more popular issue out in the country. And so the concession we got is a vote. On the Ralph Norman term limits constitutional amendment. Uh, that was legislation previously carried by now Governor, formerly Congressman Ron DeSantis, when he was up here in Washington. And it doesn't do the caps on bureaucrats. Probably it should. But at least now you'll be able to expose the frauds who go home and talk about how they support term limits and then come up here and perpetuate a corrupt system where oftentimes. The ambitious people leave Congress after a few terms, and it's the folks who stick around decade after decade after decade that seem to embrace the most corrupt features of the swamp. Uh, You know, I don't take money from lobbyists or political action committees of any kind. I I think that I'm the only Republican in Congress who has that policy. And the people who stick around here for decade after decade – Ultimately, they don't end up working for the people. They end up working for this corrupt cabal, this D.C. cartel, and uh, term limits would be a way to get new blood, fresh faces. And the other thing, Jenna, we don't talk about this a lot, but term limits would make Congress younger. And right now, we have the third oldest Congress in American history, and I just don't believe that the most powerful country in the world can be run by a gerontocracy, by people who in large part, aren't going to be around to experience the long-term consequences of the decisions they make. And, you know, the millennial generation, uh, Gen Z, digital natives interface with the world in a different way than some of the older Gen Xers and, and certainly the
4: boomers.
1: That's a really excellent point. And if we look at the founding of of America and the whole idea of uh, decentralizing government and having better state sovereignty and having accountability and being able to select and prefer our leaders and genuinely being a citizen-led nation, term limits make sense so that people are not in office and career politicians for their whole lives just benefiting from all of these uh, different Sorts of donor relationships and other things, and as you were describing uh, what that looked like, the the person that uh, w- was immediately brought to my mind was Dan Crenshaw, who I think a lot of people uh, were very excited about initially as a veteran coming in, and then what I've seen over the last few years with him in office is um, ju- is this continual uh, move to more of the moderate left and um, and taking you know more money and and other things that he's not really um, on behalf of the American people and certainly not very popular in Texas. And so as you're looking um, you know, at it's, it's somebody like him and he didn't get uh, elected to the position that he wanted on the committee, um, you know, what what's your take on someone uh, like that and how even just a term or two in Congress can really change the perspective of some members of Congress, not necessarily not necessarily just him, but just how uh, Washington Very easily corrupts people.
3: Well, I I was actually spent a a good deal of time talking with Congressman Crenshaw yesterday, and it's my expectation that you're going to see Crenshaw unchained uh, after his uh, uh, disappointing finish with the Steering Committee in his pursuit of the Homeland Security gavel. Uh, He was telling me that in this term he expected to be less beholden to leadership, and and to a, a bit of my surprise. Uh, came up to me and said he wanted to work with me on more things in the upcoming Congress. Matter of fact, uh, Dan uh, and uh, AOC and I were talking about a bill that we could all introduce together on uh, veterans' issues, that something that, that we all care about. So uh, I'm not going to be on the show to uh, criticize Dan Crenshaw because I think we may see a different Dan Crenshaw going forward than uh, than we've seen in the past. And look, I mean, in a four-seat majority, one thing that I tried to show – the Republican Conference, is that you don't get to send anybody to the corner, right? They don't get to send me and my fellow firebrands to the corner. And we can't move without some of the people who traditionally have been more in the establishment vein. And so like, we've got to find a way to govern with a four-seat majority. And it's not going to be by alienating any wing of our conference. Now, I know they want me to be the best version of myself. I want them to be as responsive to the people who sent us as possible. And yeah, I do, I have seen members who come here and through the orientation process, they get the bright lights of the big city, they get the best steaks, they get the finest wines. And all it costs you is your soul. All it costs you is giving your vote card to the leadership, your calendar to the lobby corps. And we can't live like that. The country is going downhill because we are spending ourselves into oblivion we are yielding all of the power that is supposed to be reposed in the congress to these weaponized executive agencies and we
1: and congressman matt gates i I appreciate we are up against a hard break uh, but that's so encouraging and an unlikely ally to have uh, gates and crenshaw and aoc we'll see how that goes but that's encouraging so we'll be right back with more here on jenna ellis in the morning
0: If you are 65 or older, you know this. Watching your hard-earned dollars fly out the window on healthcare costs is so frustrating. But here's some great news. If you miss the December 7th deadline for open enrollment, it's not too late. Here's something that can really help. It's MediShare 65+. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's healthcare bills. It's people who encourage and pray for each other, too. MediShare 65 Plus is a low cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great way to fight inflation too. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. Plus, it's easy. You can use any Medicare-approved doctor or get 24-7 telehealth access from the comfort of your home. So worth looking into. MediShare 65 Plus is open for enrollment. And if you join right now, before January 31st, your second month will be free. So don't miss this chance. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE.
5: This is Pause to Pray a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders.
3: Today, we pray for Greg Abbott, governor of Texas. He's the state's 48th governor and a former state attorney general and former member of the Texas Supreme Court. Deuteronomy 1.13 reminds us of the importance of strong leadership. Choose wise and discerning and experienced men from your tribes, and I will appoint them as your heads right now with this in mind let's pray together almighty god we ask for guidance for governor greg abbott as he leads the state of texas we ask this in jesus name amen
5: pause to pray is a service of this station and the presidential prayer team a nonprofit nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders to learn more go to pausetopray.org Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. You need a university you can trust that offers a world-class education with the values, knowledge, and skills you need to succeed. That place is Liberty University, and now is the perfect time to start. This fall, Liberty celebrating 50 years of training champions for Christ, a mission that has not wavered since it opened in 1971. With more than 700 programs online and on campus, Liberty can help you turn your vision into a future you can be proud of. Text EXPLORE to the number 49596. That's EXPLORE to the 49596. Some good news in the war against critical race theory. The University of Memphis had come under fire for offering faculty members $3,000 if they infused critical race theory into their lesson plans. Critics say that amounted to a bribe. The Turning Point USA chapter took issue with the lessons and reached out to their student government leaders. But when the conservative kids got the cold shoulder, they reached out to the media. The reaction was fast and furious. Donors called the university, threatened to pull their funding, and the conservative students made the rounds on local conservative radio shows and TV shows. Long story short, the University of Memphis has now canceled the CRT lessons. You know, folks, when you take a stand, you really can make a difference. And not a single building in Memphis, Tennessee was burned down, and not a single business was looted. Well done, kids. I'm Todd Starnes.
0: Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio.
1: Jenna Ellis and it is Thursday morning and one of the top stories around the nation. All eyes are on President Joe Biden because additional classified documents have been found in Joe Biden's possession from his time as vice president. So in the same week, the news broke that Joe Biden had taken classified government documents from his time as vice president in the Obama administration to a private Penn Biden center office. Another story broke yesterday and reported that those weren't the only sensitive documents Biden took with him in an alleged violation of the Presidential Records Act. So NBC reports that aides to President Joe Biden have discovered at least one additional batch of classified documents in a location that we currently don't know separate from the Washington office he used after leaving the Obama administration. Biden told reporters Tuesday that he was, quote unquote, surprised by the discovery, and he didn't know what was in the document. So are we really surprised that Biden doesn't know anything? I don't really think so. But joining me now to discuss further is uh, Representative Andy Beggs out of Arizona. And uh, Representative Beggs, thank you so much for joining me. What do you make of the Biden-classified document situation, and is Congress poised to investigate this?
4: Well, first of all, yes, we're going to investigate this Um Oversight committee is already, already uh, talking about how we're going to do it. We, we had some other ancillary investigations planned, but we're going to throw this, this into it. The, um, the, the reality is nobody should be surprised. The Democrats and the left's mantra is always to project on somebody else what you're doing wrong and then, uh, and then expect a two-tiered justice system to protect you from your wrongdoings while attacking conservatives. That's that's really what we see here over and over again.
1: Yeah, and so I think a, a lot of people are frustrated and also concerned that the response from the DOJ and the FBI is so dissimilar here uh, f- with respect to the discovery of documents in Joe Biden's possession than what we saw last August with the Mar-a-Lago raids and uh, all of these allies of President Trump getting their cell phones seized. We've seen none of that. And so what is uh, the congressional perspective on the DOJ and how uh, their response is so different here?
4: Well, my my response is, and I don't know if everybody feels this way, but I think a lot of them kind of are in the same boat with me, is that this is a reason why Merrick Garland has got to go. Uh, the DOJ has been weaponized, and we have to push back on it. Um, we have to use the new, the reinstituted Holman rule to go after not just Merrick Garland, but others in that, in the DOJ. I mean, you, uh, Jenny, you got it right. I mean, they show up at Mar a Lago with three dozen plus agents. They're going and sifting through the first lady's uh, dresser and, and, and closet. They're going through Barron's uh, closet and his rooms. This, this is just absolutely uh, ludicrous. And at the same, at the same time, the records that he supposed President Trump supposedly had were actually under lock and key. Um, there was a Secret Service there um, protecting the the residents and the, and the occupants and, and ostensibly protecting those records as well. They that put an additional lock, as asked by the FBI. And what we're get, getting, and quite frankly, I don't believe them. I don't believe their timeline. I think their timeline suspicious, and I also think it's 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 weird that they're they're starting to find them at other locations. And and I'm wondering. How many more locations are we going to find these kinds of uh, records at?
1: And I'm talking with Congressman Andy Biggs, and uh, I also found the timeline very suspicious and the fact that uh, supposedly and allegedly this discovery was made about six days before the midterms, but no one knew that and that wasn't. Uh, that that wasn't out in, in the public or reported by the media. And so what do you make of this timeline? You've characterized it as suspicious. Um, what else is going on potentially with this timeline that you want to probe?
4: Number one, I, I don't believe they found it as late as they did. Um, they're going to have to really demonstrate that to me. Second thing is um, this that it was suppressed, again, right before the midterms, not unlike the Hunter Biden laptop. Um, And in the meantime, they're blowing up uh, Donald Trump and the Republicans right before the election. So it gets to a a point that President Trump always makes. Forget about the the fraud, just the fact that you suppress that the DOJ is politically, it apparently uh, has political motivations to suppress damaging information while taking similar, um, actually not even similar, it, it was a better situation as I've outlined for Trump, Uh, taking same or similar circumstances and blowing them up to make them look as bad as they possibly can. That's called, that's rigging an election. It's not fraud, but it is actually trying to have an unfair influence. uh, And that is being done for political purposes. And that's the power of the state police that are doing that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's something that I find so frustrating to see this disparity between uh, the, the targeting of a person and a political opponent like Donald Trump and then trying to manufacture uh, many different crimes or hoaxes, as he calls them, just to go after him. And then when you actually have something that Uh, is a worthwhile probe than just because it's one of their allies. They go, oh, you know, this is totally different for a variety of reasons and we're going to minimize this. Uh, But do you think that the inverse is potentially a danger that if uh, Republicans, especially in the media, are suggesting that uh, Joe Biden may have done something criminal in this context, that that would have um, some negative results or implications on President Trump. And how different do you think these situations are, or or how should they uh, be treated similarly in terms of a special master and oversight uh, that is is genuinely unbiased and independent?
4: Well, I'm not sure in, in the federal government that you ever find anybody that's unbiased anymore, if you want just being honest here, but uh, i you have to go you have to treat them similarly so so they've they 've basically gone after President Trump for seven years now uh non stop uh they 've used the police apparatus to do that um and and it just seems to me that we we also have to look at it and say well wait a second let 's even let 's leave it even look at the way they did this. They sat on this thing for two months they 've um according to um some sources I have they've misrepresented that that they're vacating that facility, they, and so for a lot of a lot of reasons. Then then you look at it and they say initially the media is all in for them and comes and says okay well you know there was just a few documents no big deal and it turns out that the initial find was bigger more and had more serious implications for um, international relations than we first were given to believe and then you add in that they found another trove of documents. And, and so you're saying, I'm saying anyways, in such a case, um, put the shoe on the other foot. What would you do for Trump? Well, you'd be going after his allies, like you said, not only would you be going after his allies, you'd be going after every residence that he owns, every place that he has, that that documents might be, especially since now we know that Biden has had his in multiple locations. So, but we don't see any animated effort on the part of the doj to have even treatment so if you're going to turn the other way like you did with obama and every other president because they all tend to take this type of stuff out then you should have turned the other way on trump but you didn't and so now you cannot come to us and say well you know we're going to turn the other way for biden because he was just a vice president or you know whatever um and he's one of our guys you can't do that you have to treat them evenly and fairly um because that's the only way you have a country of laws. And if you don't have a country of laws and a ru- and the rule of law, you can't have freedom.
1: Yeah, very well said. And I think that Merrick Garland uh, is going to be between a rock and a hard place, at least in uh, the political eye of Washington and around the country, uh, based on how he has already treated these situations dissimilarly, and how he hasn't come out and made any sort of public statement about this, like uh, he did with Donald Trump. I mean, there is uh, so many uh, differences in the way that the DOJ and the FBI are already treating this situation, and of course, the mainstream media is trying to draw those distinctions. Um, But to me as well, one of the bigger issues here is the substance of these documents. And it's come out in some reports that uh, these documents related to Ukraine and China. And I think there's a lot of questions about what exactly um, Joe Biden was doing, retaining those types of documents. And so I want to, just in the last few minutes I have with you, uh, Congressman Andy Biggs, ask you about um, that connection and and what, if anything, you expect uh, some of these select committees particularly the one on China, uh, to probe with a respect to um, the Biden family's ties to China, if that's on the agenda, or should it be?
4: Well, it is definitely on the agenda, and it definitely should be. I mean, the allegations um, of business dealings with, with China, and when we say with China, uh, people don't need to understand you really have two kinds of China. You have the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, and the members and their affiliates, and that's about 300 million people. Then you have the non-Chinese party people, and they're, they're lesser treated, and they're, uh, there's about 600 million of them. So you have to understand that when we say he was making deals with China, he was making deals with members of the CCP, and not just any members of the CCP, but the highest levels of the CCP government. And when I say he, I'm talking about Hunter Biden here. And so, and the relationship that you know Tony Bobulinski relates to us is that Joe Biden was definitely involved, uh, Joe Biden was definitely um, receiving pecuniary gain um, and and by virtue of his re- position in the White House as a vice president. So that is corruption if it's true. So you have to get to the bottom of that, because if that is true, then it leads to the suspicion that he's compromised. And it explains some of the 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 crazy lousy foreign policy he has, especially vis-a-vis China, and don't forget we, though some of those documents that they found also dealt with Iran. So you have the China, you, Iran, Ukraine, all places that 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 Biden has been accused, uh, or his members of his family of having some kind of uh, dealings with, and you look at his um, his basically re- uh, removal of the sanctions in Iran. So there's all kinds of foreign policy implications that just demand that we get to the bottom of it these, uh, for, for Joe Biden and his family and what they were doing.
1: These are questions that absolutely need and deserve answers. And the fact-finding mission of these types of oversight committees can really yield uh, a lot of these answers. And so even though, obviously, uh, as, as Matt Gaetz said in the previous segment, um, and he's right, that Congress doesn't have uh, law enforcement or prosecutorial authority, the fact finding and the subpoena power in terms of oversight and um, some legislative capacity is very critical to just getting to the bottom of, uh, of what actually happened. And then we can deal with that. But what I think is really frustrating to the American people is that we have all of these questions and we haven't gotten a lot of answers over the last even seven years of the persecution and the prosecution of Donald Trump. And so uh, we mentioned Ukraine as well. And so uh, Congressman Andy Biggs, there's now a House resolution that's seeking to put a display of President Zelensky's head in the U.S. Capitol. And this was sponsored by uh, one of your fellow Republicans. And um, the the back. Already from the base has been very severe. Questioning what on earth is going on? Um, what can we expect from Congress? Uh, what's your reaction to this resolution and also uh, to the continued funding of Ukraine?
4: Well, I'm a no and a no. I'm a no on uh, on a on a bust of, of Zelensky, Vladimir Z- Zelensky, and in the capital. And I'm a no on continued funding of Ukraine. So I mean, the way to think of it is is this: the only person that that's a foreign leader that we have there, I shouldn't say only, because there's two, Baklava Havel and 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 Winston Churchill. Those are the foreign leaders that we have that that have received that honor. Vladimir Zelensky, prior to the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine was considered the most corrupt nation in the world. Vladimir Zelensky, we thought, well, he's an improvement because we've only gotten thirty million dollars in, in in missing money from Ukraine. We this this has just gotten out of hand, and it's it, to to me, it's you know, it doesn't make any sense. I, I'm not even understanding uh, the sentiment to put a bust of Vladimir Zelensky in in the capital, and I I just. I'm I'm a hard no on that, and I hope that 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 uh, idea kind of uh, fades away.
1: And, and do you think that there will be a Republican majority consensus on both of those issues? And, and obviously, the funding to Ukraine is uh, much more important than just a bust. But um, but there was no rationale even in the resolution uh, from the South Carolina Congress member. Uh, it didn't really seem to, <laughs> to have any sort of purpose. Uh, but do you think that there will be a majority voting both of those down?
4: Well, there'll be a, certainly I, I don't even think the bus thing gets to the floor uh the ukraine thing uh there is a a group of people on both sides of the aisle that want to just keep spending money there in this proxy war um, uh, without really any particular accountability or uh, or determination of when we're going to stop so I, I don't know what to tell you on that one.
1: Well, hopefully that's where Speaker McCarthy will keep his promises and uh, continue to f- to fight and work on behalf of the American people and uh, get a Republican consensus. Because if we lose even a few votes and all of the Democrats vote to continue to fund Ukraine, I think that will be uh, something that... A lot of voters are going to be very, very upset about if that actually gets back well, through then. the House. But um, but thank you, Congressman Biggs, for your stand uh, for the truth for America and for fighting for the best interests of the American people. Really appreciate you joining me this morning and continue uh, the great fight there in D.C. I'm so grateful to have so many members of Congress uh, that are fighting the good fight. And so we need to continue to pray for everyone on Capitol Hill with these really important issues, not just a bust of Zelensky that's, in my view, really- stupid, but um, some of these more critical issues. So we'll be right back with your phone calls and more right here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning.
0: This week on Truth For Life, we're learning how to recognize false teachers and how to respond to scoffers who say Jesus
3: isn't returning. We'll also find out how to become more like Christ as we prepare
0: for his return. That's our focus on Truth For Life with Alistair Begg. Truth For Life, weekday mornings at 1130 Central on AFR and online at AFR.net.
6: Today's issues. Blaming a gun for a violent crime or a murder is like blaming the pencil for a misspell word. Ooh, I like that. That would be like a a student who does terrible on spelling. And he says, we've had a rash of pencil-oriented mistakes. Misspell words. (laughs) Today's
0: Issues, weekday mornings at 11 Eastern, 10 Central on American Family Radio. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The book of Proverbs is one that flows with abundant insight for wisdom. It shows that one of the most prominent qualities of wise people is that they welcome and even celebrate life giving correction. In today's world, overrun by cultural Marxism, there is much discussion as to what segments of our society hate themselves. Well, Proverbs gives the answer He who rejects life giving correction despises himself. The truest demonstration of self-hatred is revealed by knuckleheads who refuse to humble themselves and embrace life-giving correction. Loving rebuke saves lives. Correction displays love. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association.
2: American Family Radio Listening Family, this is Bible League International, and we've spent the last few weeks telling you about persecuted believers praying for Bibles to be able to endure and persevere in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. We told you about Pastor Rusis, whose three sons were murdered by a terrorist group that hates Christians, but rather than retaliate with violence, they invited these people to learn about Jesus. 200 have come to Christ. They need Bibles in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And in the Middle East, Pastor Yusuf and a deacon in his church were kidnapped in broad daylight. When the family could not pay the ransom, they kill the deacon, they torture Pastor Yusuf, but with conviction today, that brother can say, it's an honor to suffer for the Lord. AFR listeners, you've given so generously in recent weeks so that 9,000 bible persecuted believers now have a Bible. Our goal is 16,000. So in this season of giving, at $5 a Bible, $100 sends 20, will you pray about it? And then call 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD or give it sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. Or...
0: Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio.
1: Why are the people in the Biden administration literally the most incompetent people at their jobs? Uh, that is a question that, of course, is answered by this whole uh, diversity and inclusion sort of a situation that the Biden administration definitely prefers rather than promoting people on the basis of merit. And there is no better example currently than uh, Pete Buttigieg, who is the Secretary of Transportation and nowhere really to be found. What is he doing in his job capacity other than a mere placeholder? One of the top headlines uh, yesterday morning is that the FAA uh, now today is slowly coming online after massive technical delays that caused cancellation and uh, even more delays. The U.S. Federal Aviation Administration lifted its ground stop order Wednesday morning after suffering a nationwide technical outage causing mass cancellations and delays. The travel chaos was caused by a failure of the FAA's notice to air missions, uh, the NOTAM system, which alerts pilots and other personnel about airborne issues and other delays at airports across the country. So Biden confirmed uh, earlier on Wednesday, according to the National Review, view that he had spoken with Buttigieg and told reporters that aircraft can still land safely, just not take off right now. So what exactly is Pete Buttigieg doing? Well, I don't know. Uh, I think that he is probably just uh, being that placeholder and that diversity hire because it looks like with the press secretary, with the vice president, uh, everyone on the left seems to care so much more about identity politics than they do about uh, job performance and merit and hard work. And this is frustrating for uh, a lot of us that actually want to see our government doing the work that it's supposed to. Not doing things that it shouldn't, but there are some functions of government that are necessary. And uh, things like planes taking off and getting off the ground, that's very important to the functioning of our society. While uh, federal officials are racing to retract the idea of banning gas stoves, this is one of the more uh, hilarious headlines that uh, the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission chairman issued a statement Wednesday assuring the public that his agency actually had no intention of banning gas stoves after the commission official drew the ire of the cooking public by suggesting that appliances might be banned in the near future due to the alleged health threat that they pose to Americans. Uh, The most hilarious part of this story was that a viral photo of First Lady Jill Biden cooking on a gas stove uh, showed the incredible hypocrisy of the Democrats and the Biden administration yet again, that as my good friend Libs of TikTok tweeted, gas stoves for me but not for thee so taking your calls now and all the top trending headlines you can call in at 888-589-8840 that's 888-589-8840 and so let's start with calvin in west virginia calvin uh you are on with jenna ellis in the morning good morning
6: oh well thank you ma'am for taking my call i really appreciate it
1: thank Uh, you for calling in
6: uh, okay uh I, I, let me. Can I, you mind, I'm going to ask you a question first. Are you familiar with uh, Chick Publications in in Chino, California? It's a Christian uh, publishing company.
1: Not not particularly. I've probably read a few things by them, but not uh, not that I'm recalling right now.
6: Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, it's like I told the call screener that I believe that every America patriot. I, it's it's our responsibility to do everything that we possibly can. To help this country and I know that you agree with that and uh, but anyway there's a yes. book, there's a couple of books out there that was written by a man named Charles Chenequay, back in uh, 18 I don't know exactly when he wrote them but anyway it was 50 years in the Church of Rome and the priests the women and the confessionals both of these books you can order from Chick publications in Chino, California and it tell if you read that book But, dear sister, I know you love the Lord, and I do too, and our hearts are the same as Sandy Rios and all the other Christian people in this country. Mm -hmm. But you need to read that book, 50 Years in the Church of Rome. It tells the story, Charles Cheniquet tells the story of how he he was born in, uh, well, he was a Catholic and and eventually Mm -hmm. went to be a priest. And uh, he tells in that story how they had planned to take this country and I'm telling wow. you, they're just about ready to shut the door. You know what I mean? And it tells the whole story of how that's, President Lincoln,
1: that's when a he great was recommendation. Attorney- yeah, and and appreciate that, Calvin. I'm always looking for great books, and you know, I agree with you that uh, there are a lot of people who've had, you know, a lot of uh, plans and other things to take down this country and to destroy uh, our system of government. And, you know, any information like that, I'm always looking for good books. And in fact, um, my sister-in-law and I were talking on our uh, family group chat about all of the books that we want to read in the new year. And uh, so that'll have to be added onto my list. So really appreciate your call, Calvin. Uh, Let's go to Ron in Ohio. And uh, Ron, good morning. Thanks so much for calling in
6: yeah thank you very much. Uh, my question is, what's our strategy for getting votes out of major cities like Philadelphia? It seems to me like when after Philadelphia votes, the election's over.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And in fact, uh, tomorrow morning, I'll be speaking with um, Congresswoman Claudia Tenney, uh, who will be co-chairing, is my understanding, of the uh, the new committee that's formed on election integrity. Um, I think that asking all of those questions and those types of probes in Congress uh, is very appropriate, especially considering the lack of congressional investigation uh, that happened in the aftermath of uh, the 2020 election. But we also have to remember that the, the solution lies with the state legislatures. Uh, Congress and the federal government, thankfully, uh, don't have uh, really anything to do with uh, elections even for federal office other than, of course, with respect to the president, we have uh, the, uh, the the electoral college process that, of course, occurs in Congress. Um, and then also with uh, the constitutional requirement of the time, place, and manner clause. But that is not... Uh, the constitutional process does not cover uh, a federal administration of elections. So a lot of people that are suggesting we need to federalize elections, that is unconstitutional. That is given to the states. And there are different states that have different methods um, that are perfectly constitutional. uh, They're fair. um, And uh, they're just a different method of uh, how they prefer to run elections. And so some things are, uh, in my view, bad ideas, like what we see in the ranked choice voting out of Alaska and uh, some of the ways that that type of vote system is manipulated, even though uh, that's that's okay in terms of a <clears throat> of a constitutional question or a legal question of whether Alaska can implement that versus whether they should. Uh, but it, so in terms of election integrity, the solution is always with the state legislatures and advocates, um, including me and a whole host of my colleagues uh, across the country and on uh, within various organizations are specifically going to the states and asking the state legislatures to have a process that is fair in terms of election administration. But even more than that, we need enforcement authority and we need a speedy process for election challenges for candidates that question the outcomes. In my view, the bigger issue is not just the administration aspects, but we also have to have enforcement and accountability and transparency and the ability to provide judicial remedy when those, uh, those administrations are not done according to state law. That was really the breakdown, uh, not only in the 2020 election, but also in some of these challenges like out of Arizona in, uh, the aftermath of the gubernatorial election and some of these other questions in the 2022 election. So great question, uh, Ron. And of course, election integrity is a really, really big deal. So, um, so if you want to call in, also call 888-589-8840. You're listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning, taking your calls. Uh, let's go to Lynn out of Arkansas. Uh, what, uh, what question do you have, Lynn? And thanks so much for calling in. Yeah, thank you. Um, I wanted to know what your take is on Biden and the Mexican president and uh, Trudeau meeting in Mexico A long time ago, people were talking about an alliance between the three countries uh, heading towards the one world government. And they even talked about a common money um, system. I think they called it the Amero or something. And um, I've been missing a lot of information um, during the Christmas season. And I wanted to know uh, what you know about that. Yeah, that's that's uh, meeting. That's a very interesting question. Of course, you know we've had um, the uh, the trade agreements and some of those things that uh, that President Trump facilitated. But if you're talking about a broader perspective on some of these, um, more of the global elites and these globalists that certainly include Joe Biden and the leftist uh, allies, and um, and I believe as well Justin Trudeau and um, some of the European nations and the people whose perspective is not. To define nations and have national sovereignty and truly uh, represent the interests of the people of their states, they want to move toward a one-world government because they believe that the global society is better. So, um, so in terms of that specific meeting, um, I don't have any specific, uh, you know, thoughts on what that meeting contained. But as a broader perspective on this. Um, That's a great question that I think as Christians and as conservatives and also as Americans, we need to make sure that we're paying attention. Because if uh, we are trying as an American government in any aspect of our federal government to uh, use power ultimately to tear down our national sovereignty and give over uh, some of that sovereignty and some of that power uh, to, for example, the United Nations or to um, any of these other, uh, you know, the World Health Organization or any of these other uh, systems of governance that we then are beholden to um, in terms of our decision making in any sort of capacity, whether that's health care, it's, you know, the global pandemics, it's on um, interests of the child. I mean, there is a really good reason that the United States is one of the very few nations that didn't sign off on the uh, declaration on the rights of the child um, that came out of the United Nations. And the reason for that, uh, a lot, there was a lot of criticism surrounding that because people said, well, What about children's best interests? Don't you care about that? Well, we have to look at the substance of the law instead of just the title of it. And the reason for that is because we do not want to delegate authority of uh, arbitration of what's in the best interests of children to anyone other than parents. And we're seeing a marked shift In our society and our culture and our government's response to who determines the best interests of the child. And that is what happened, for example, in the cases in the United Kingdom with um, Charlie Gard and Alfie Evans. If you remember those two uh, very, very tragic cases of children who uh, could not get life-saving care because the doctors determined that the health care expenditures were too great uh, to to expend on these children over and above the wishes of the parents. That doesn't happen in the United States because we still recognize parental rights. So just as a, a really important example, those are reasons to make sure that we still as individuals can exercise our constitutionally protected rights. And when you have someone like Joe Biden and these globalist elites that want to continue moving Um, all of our rights and our decision-making out of the hands of individuals to exercise and into the hands of more of a global cabal. That is where we get unconstitutional uh, exercise of power because the constitution requires that anyone who serves in government is under the constitution and the sole responsibility of government is to preserve and protect Our rights. The government on the federal level has absolutely no authority to enter into some of these um, agency sort of engagements and the eroding of our national sovereignty and individual exercising of our constitutional rights like they have. But what we have to be careful about as well is uh, the treaty clause in the Constitution. And so in Article 6, when uh, we're talking about treaties, and so the the question as well as some of the uh, the alliances between um, the the countries, we have to be very careful because um, Article 6, Section 2 says, This Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States and the supreme law of the land, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby, anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary notwithstanding. And so all treaties that we make with foreign nations essentially become part of our U.S. Constitution and our rule of law. And that's why in the negotiation of the USMCA, which of course replaced the NAFTA agreement under President Trump, there was a lot of concern from a lot of different uh, substantive conservative uh, nonprofits and other uh, Republicans around the country that Justin Trudeau had wanted a clause that essentially would codify SOGI language or sexual orientation and gender identity language in that treaty that may have bound or had the pretext of binding the United States with respect to some uh, I- executive offices um, to have to change our law, because, of course, Soji language has never been codified by the U.S. Congress for a reason, and that's because Republicans have always voted against it, um, some of the, the Equal Protection Acts and some of those things that are uh, leftist attempts. And so we have to be very, very careful that we look at the language of our treaties because we do not want to give away any sovereignty. So great question, Lynn. Um, We are already out of time, so hopefully we will get to more of your phone calls. Appreciate everyone calling in. Make sure that you understand our U.S. Constitution, our rule of law. Hold everyone accountable. Hold the line. Pray. Be steadfast. I'm Jenna Ellis, and I will see you tomorrow right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning.